This episode is brought to us by Athletic Brewing, the makers of non-alcoholic craft beer for athletes who take their training and their lifestyle seriously. Save 15% at athleticbrewing.com by using the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Also, CS Instant Coffee, 100% Arabica Instant Coffee in individual compostable packaging for guilt-free convenience that's perfect for the trail, office, fitness, etc. Go to csinstant.coffee and use the code ADVENTURE for 20% off. There is a culture there that it has accessed these mountains and has resided in there. Being able to kind of enable them to go into those mountains and climb them in a way that they haven't before is something that really truly inspires me because it kind of resonates with, with my identity as well. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. Hope you had a good weekend. Today's episode is with Ryan Schuler and Milos Pirleva. They are uh, teaming up along with some other folks here in the States to go to Iraq and build the first ever climbing school with some local climbers there. Um, it's pretty incredible. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a big project, and, and a lot is going into it. And so I'm really excited to just help promote the idea as well as help promote uh, what they're doing over there. A lot of, like uh, Milos is going to say, a lot of unclimbed mountains. So it's going to be a whole new world for the climbing world as well as uh, adventure tourism and all that in northern Iraq is where they're going to be going near the Kurdish mountains. So I'll let them tell the story. Uh, it's, it's a lot of them talking about it. But yeah. Enjoy the show. Thanks for tuning in with us. Um, thank you to our new patrons. I got a couple over the weekend. If you'd like to support the show, uh, you know it, it, it means the world to us. And also, if you would like to find out more about this project that they're doing in Iraq, please, it's in the show notes. Click on some links, learn about it, see if you have any of the gear they need or can help support them by buying some gear. It's going to be teaching some aspiring climbers the basics of climbing as well as uh, mountaineering. You, you know, everyone around the world can benefit from the outdoors, not just uh, not just us here in the States, of course. <laughs> Wilderness is not a luxury. It is a necessity of the human spirit. That is one of my favorite quotes. Please go out this week and do something in the wilderness. So, uh, yeah, where are, you, where are you guys coming from today? I'm actually in uh, my home in North Carolina right now, uh, a little more in the city than I'm used to, but pretty nice space. And I am uh, in a small village that is 700 years old. Uh, my ancestors actually were uh, one of the three families that founded this place, and it is on the border of Slovakia and Poland right near the Tatra Mountains. Okay, well, me and Ryan are coming from our homes, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you're in this magical place. That's awesome. Now, is that home for you, Milo, or, or are you just visiting? 
Uh, it's it's home right now. So basically, I have an apartment in Manhattan in Hell's Kitchen. <clears throat> That's where I uh, spend most of my time. But for the duration of this project, I'm uh, staying here because I'm also reaching out to European companies. And um, this helps us cover uh, a larger portion of the earth in our outreach efforts. So we're, we're a pretty laid back show. We just like to have a conversation. So we don't do, you know, big, big formal. Um, it's not it's not super <laughs> structured. So we just love to talk to people about their adventures and what they're doing. And you guys are doing something really amazing. It's a first and that is building a climbing school in Iraq. Um, do you mind both of you taking just some time to get into more detail of what that looks like? Because I know there's a lot to it. It's not just <clears throat> go over there, climb some mountains. It's 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 a uh, it's going to be a big process and in a in a very complex project. And I'd love you to explain it a little more to our listeners. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and start off on that. So um, in December of 2017. I was posting to some um, mountaineering groups on Facebook, and one of the comments that I received was an invitation to come and climb some mountains in this guy's home, which were, had previously been unclimbed. Um, I thought he may have been on another planet, because at the time I didn't think that any mountains on our, on our planet were uh, unclimbed. <laughs> right. But it turns, out, it turns out that this was a mountaineer from Iraq uh, who has a, quite an inspirational story. He, uh, he and his, uh, his mountaineering friends actually learned how to mountaineer by looking at photos and emulating what people did on video because they didn't understand the language. And what he told me was that uh, he, has, he had become good enough so that they climb every, every weekend right now and they have done multiple uh, foreign trips. But uh, he had a problem because there was no source of equipment in his country. And so after we talked for a little while, I, I also uh, he basically told me the story that he works in a very successful community center. And it has always been his dream to start a climbing program at that center. So I thought to myself, well, I've got a couple relationships with some gear companies. So I might be able to fly over there and deliver some equipment and just get him set up so that he could start this program. And as you would imagine, uh, with us outdoor people, these things tend to spiral out of control. And so ultimately, we all decided that we would start a mountaineering and climbing program in Iraq. Uh, just to tell you a little bit more about the center, it started in 2006. It's uh, hugely successful. It has, uh, it's, it's backed by a U.S. nonprofit, and it has such diverse classes as ballet, martial arts. They teach English fashion and design. Um, they have instruments, so they teach violin and, uh, and the most successful women's aerobics class as well. Uh, one of the people that I consulted with for the, the, for the project was actually Gwendolyn Cates. She was the advisor to the White House on Iraq, uh, the Obama White House. And uh, she told me basically to be very wary because there was a lot of predatory practices with foreign nonprofits coming into the country. So she really urged me to do a lot of background on the nonprofit, the program and everything. And after some time, I realized that this was a genuine operation. They, had, they were so successful that in December of last year, they completed the construction of a second um, building on, uh, on a second, in a second location. So they now have two. And along with that came five hectares of land. And so immediately we began to think about the construction of a climbing wall. 
so that they can have classes indoors and that they could climb out outside of the center and they the mountains uh, near them. So this would be in Sulaymaniyah in Iraq, which is right in the northern part, just south of Erbil, which is the northern capital. And it's right near the Kurdish mountains. So from the center to their mountains, it's like a 45 minute ride. And as these things kind of progressed, the first thing that I did um, was reach out to, to brands in order to get some equipment. But I, I discovered it wasn't as easy as getting gear if I was a gear reviewer. So with without success in that, I, I began to look at what other ways we can kind of begin to develop this project. And so the first thing that happened is I reached out to Red Bull and I was like, hey, listen, would you guys mind if we screen some of your movies at the center? Because... Uh, they were just promoting uh, the Dawn Wall and Alex Honnold was going around with Free Solo. And they were actually quite excited. So they said that they're going to uh, allow us to screen their feature films at the center as one of the designated locations. That was our first major accomplishment. I then attended the outdoor retailer in Denver, Colorado, where I met up with Tommy Caldwell, who was the star in the Dawn Wall. And we screened his film in December of 2018. And then Tommy made a quick little video together with me. And he was really excited that uh, we were able to inspire people in Iraq. And uh, so we, we had that video for us as well. Uh, shortly thereafter, I uh, began an outreach program to just kind of like promote what I was doing. And that's when I ran into Ryan. And Ryan told me that he had been in Iraq. And uh, Ryan, why don't you tell me what, what you were what you were planning on and how you joined the project. So I had actually seen this project on uh, a site called Reddit. And ironically, I'd actually been speaking with my friends for some years about how, you know, the mountains over there different and so raw compared to the mountains that we have uh, back home. And there's so much untapped potential there, you know, not just climbing potential, but also with, you know, the tourism industry and other industries that can come from that. And it's always something that, you know, people have kind of um, brushed off or asked me, you know, why would you want to go back there? But Oh, it just, and I just want to say, Ryan is a, um, is, is in the military. Uh, he actually served over in Iraq. And, and so his experience comes from being on the ground over there. So he actually had a chance to see the mountains himself. And that's how he, he learned about that. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let you have the microphone back, Ryan. Uh, not a problem. Yeah, so like you said, you know, seeing those mountains firsthand and uh, interacting with the people over there has really been a driving force for me wanting to, to go back and help. And, um, you know, when I saw Milo's project, that was just right up my alley. And I knew that that was something that I wanted to be a part of. And, um, you know, I, I sent him a message. Wasn't sure how it would turn out. And uh, I mean, honestly, from there, it's been absolutely fantastic. We made some great progress and and I couldn't be happier to be part of this project. Thank you. And so so the next thing that came after Ryan and his friend Whitman, um, who, by the way, once they returned to America, they both became guides for a veterans nonprofit group that takes uh, soldiers out into the mountains after they return from service. What is that called? That is a veterans adventure group. And, uh, Myself and Whitman have organized a few trips for the uh, Southeast uh, veterans team down here. We did ice climbing back in, uh, I want to say it was December or maybe early January. Um, 
and we went up and did uh, Mount Washington in March. Cool. Oh man, that sounds rough. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. so so immediately. Weekend. And then so after uh, after Ryan and Whitman kind of joined on board, a lot of other dominoes kind of started to, to fall over. So the next news that we 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 heard was that the team in Iraq actually uh, they identified a book in French called Basic Principles of Mountaineering. They went ahead and and asked for the rights to publish the book in Iraq, which they received, and they actually translated the first draft of the book. Uh, right now, so we are in position. Um, if we are able to collect 950 U United States dollars, we are going to be able to print 1,000 copies of the first ever mountaineering instruction book in Iraq as well. Shortly after that, I uh, was speaking with a company or with a friend of mine out of the UK who works with an American company, and uh, he said that if we can provide the content, he can create an entire online course from A to Z on climbing. So we would be able to have, uh, at this point, a class indoors, a wall outside, an instructional manual that you can carry in your hands. And then we began to design plans for the wall. And you got to keep in mind, I, I have never done this before. So I wrote this blog post where I was just like, hey, everybody, I'm creating this, you know, this school in, in Iraq, and I need some help because I don't know how to build a wall. So here's the plans that I wrote on a napkin. And uh, immediately after that, when I shared it, I got a message from a, uh, um, a person in the Netherlands. His name is Jasper. Um, I don't remember his last name at, off the top of my head. But uh, he is a professional who has worked for 10 years with a mountain or with a, with a wall construction company for climbing walls in the Netherlands. And he made us the offer that he would purchase his own ticket and fly down in order to supervise and complete the construction at the highest level that we could have. Um, and so at this point, we have, uh, we have the book, we have the online course, we have the facility, we have four incredible mountaineers who are in position to be able to begin teaching tomorrow. And the last piece of the puzzle that we're looking for right now is we have a list of specific gear that we are seeking to deliver over there so that they can have everything that they need to instruct indoors, to be able to uh, practice on the wall outside, as well as take small groups of one to three students out into their mountains and practice practical skills. And then along the way, I, I had the opportunity to speak to uh, such incredible individuals as Alex Honnold, obviously Tommy Caldwell, Conrad Anker, uh, Renan Oster. So I told them all about the program. We had quick conversations at the outdoor retailer. And most recently, I spoke with Krzysztof Wielicki, who is one of the most elite climbers in Poland, most accomplished. He was the first person to, uh, to climb Mount Everest in the winter, uh, as well as um, Kamchung Chunga. And, uh, and another one of the uh, major mountains, uh, this case, uh, I apologize, I should know this. Uh, but he is here in Poland right now, and I'm actually corresponding with him because he's interested in getting me connected to gear manufacturers here. So what we're seeing is a, a, a significant um, gravity that's being created around the project. And, and I, I, I can't express the gratitude I feel for the community coming together, including you inviting us on your podcast in order to see this project through to the end. That's awesome. Now... Uh, have you guys now, Ryan, you said you served in Iraq. W were you able to see this region while you were there? Uh, not uh, up close and personal. I wasn't actually in the mountains. I was able to, you know, see them in the distance and I uh, did spend also time in Afghanistan. And so 
you know, that was that was in the mountains. Just my whole time that I've spent in the Middle East, whether it was uh, vacation or work or whatever, has really shown me what a wonderful place uh, it can be. Oh yeah, and I have been correspond. Go, sorry, uh, and I have been corresponding with these guys since December of two thousand and seventeen. So all of last year, I had a chance to kind of learn more about them, see what the progress is with the with the community center. They have a very active Facebook account, so you're constantly seeing photos of children learning over there. Um, and there is a trip that I have scheduled very shortly, which is going to be the the introductory trip. So I'm actually flying over there to meet the directors of the program. I will also be meeting with the directors of the nonprofit that are coming over from the United States. Uh, And one thing that I forgot to mention also is that they have made an offer to us uh, to fund the construction of the wall. So uh, in speaking with the expert that I was talking about, Jasper, we have been um, basically coming up with technical uh, plans right now for exactly the type of wall we're going to construct. We're going to have an exact list of the materials that are necessary. And uh, what we're hoping for is that the amount of money that that nonprofit is going to provide us is going to be sufficient to complete the the construction of the wall. Yeah, it's a lot of moving parts. And, you know, know, a lot of people have a really terrible view of Iraq. We've been bombarded for the last, you know, decade and a half, almost two decades now with awful scenery, horrible, horribly angry people on on the news. But... Uh, I'm a bike tour myself, and I hear a lot of people who are touring around the world, and one of their most, usually one of the top five places people who've who've been through quite a bit of the world is Iraq. They absolutely love the the hill country and the mountainous regions cycling through Iraq because the people are so friendly, and it's so, uh, probably just so unanticipated because of how most people do have views of that area. And like you said, a lot of those mountains never been climbed. They are not the most, you know, look at you look at it on paper. They're not the biggest mountains in the world. But when you look at them in, through pictures, they are incredibly daunting and gorgeous and worthy of your time and travel to be there to climb those. So it's going to be exciting how, how this is... Uh, how this grows. And so for you guys, what, what was the motivation um, to, to build the climbing school there rather than allowing other companies to come in and, and take people on uh, destination adventures? So that's a wonderful question, actually, because the, the, the culture in Iraq is one where for historically it's been a place of conflict. So when you're just trying to stay alive, just get enough food and just to get enough water, it's you're not thinking about you know going into the mountains to climb. So the 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 people of Iraq have always seen the Kurdish the Kurdish mountains as a wall that both protects them from the outside world, but is also restricting them from that outside world. Uh, I, ironically, actually, the war that was started um, after um, or in the past decade uh, actually caused the area to have more stability than before. And so that particular northern part, the Kurdish area, became a little bit more cultured with a lot of more access to outside resources, especially with the advent of the internet. And so um, for the first time, we are seeing a generation that is going to be able to learn about the, the how to venture into the mountains responsibly. So presently, right. there's a couple outfitters uh, that are from outside of Iraq, so foreign outfitters who guide trips into there. Uh, one of the notable ones was Stacy Bear, who I actually had a chance to speak with about this project as well, 
who led a um, mountain ski trip into those mountains. And so what we're seeing is basically foreign companies coming in, maybe spending one or two days inside of the city of Sulamania, and then traveling directly into the mountains to bring foreign clients there. And that doesn't really retain anything in the, with, to the Iraqi people. So what our pro project um, opens up is the opportunity for this next generation to become mountain guides and to be able to be paid for the services of showing their local mountains. And in addition to that, they'll be able to create businesses. With businesses comes the power of voice in government over what, go what goes on in those mountains and how they will be managed, hopefully creating national parks. And then with the school, like the one that we're creating, where we're trying to set everything up with, at the most professional level with access to as many resources as possible, it is potentially going to create the opportunity for young students to be able to become professional athletes, uh, training in Iraq in order to climb there, and also connecting with brands to potentially climb outside and travel internationally to climb with uh, at competitions. So what we're seeing here is an opportunity to create the, uh, instead of having the mountains represent a wall, to create the mountains as a door that opens opportunity up to the people of Iraq and change the entire culture of the country to, for the first time, see the mountains as a way to uh, prosperity. To go off of what Mila was saying and what you had said about um, seeing these images of Iraq and, and how it differs from what people experience when they actually bike through or, or visit northern Iraq, it's actually a semi-autonomous uh, region that sort of operates outside of the uh, traditional Iraqi government. It's the Kurdish regional government is what controls that whole uh, area. And, and even historically, there's been a lot less fighting and, and danger, obviously, uh, up in those northern areas. And the city that we are going into is actually one of the safest in the countries, which helps with that stability long term for our project. Just to kind of follow up on what Ryan is saying, um, I, I don't want anybody to think that this is a project where we're, we're just going to, you know, fly in there and kind of feel like we're controlling it or doing anything where we're taking over and providing anything. Uh, just personally, I have a history of working with humanitarian projects. I used to be an attorney, actually. I, I graduated in 2010 um, out of New Jersey, out of Rutgers University. And I, uh, for four years, I was mentored by uh, Professor Roger S. Clark, who is the delegate to the country of Samoa. And in 2017, he was no nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, thanks to his teachings, I was able to um, be an attorney that worked on cases in South Africa with the South African, or with the Constitutional Court of South Africa. 
I worked in London with a barrister translating international cases from Polish into English. And I also sat on the um, as a member on the New York Bar Association's Africa Affairs Committee. So as far as international law goes, uh, I have a very large, I guess, tremendous uh sensitivity to how those work, which is why I consulted with the consultant to Iraq for the Obama White House. And every single step of this process, I am more than willing to be able to say that I am always willing to accept uh, more information, to speak to experts, to consult with individuals who know best. I feel very comfortable right now working with Ryan and Whitman because uh, not only do they have experience in the area, they also have contacts in the region. Um, and uh, what, what's important here is that this project is the, the present like largest project that I'm working on. But in 2015, I started I uh, founded my own organization out of New York. It's called World in 360. What I do is I take uh, virtual reality 360 cameras. And when I go climbing or, uh, you know, to polar expeditions or wherever else, I actually record the experiences. And I bring those to hospitals and orphanages, inpatient care centers, elderly facilities. And I allow people who are paralyzed, for example, to put the virtual reality goggles on and experience life and adventure in a way that a fully abled uh, person is able to experience them. That project had seen great success. And so um, I then partnered in 2017 with a uh, with the Himalayan stove project, which is a project that works and operates in Nepal, it provides um, clean cook or clean burning cook stoves to the local population because, and this is going to be a, a little bit more of a uh, wordy thing, but uh, basically, forty seven percent of the world's population cooks and eats uh, or cooks and heats their home on an open fire inside of their house. So it's like having literally a fire on the ground inside of your living room with no ventilation. And so um, in uh, household air pollution actually is the number one killer in the world. And what we do is we provide clean cook stoves with a chimney that directs the air outside of, or di directs the smoke outside of the, the home and also burns much more efficiently. But that year in 2017, uh, the Himalayan Stove Project and George Bosch received the 2017 Citation of Merit from the Explorers Club, which um, is one of the highest awards given to any humanitarian organizations. When I was, uh, what I did with them is I went to Nepal up to Everest Base Camp, and I recorded a virtual reality documentary, basically uh, showing everybody how they are helping on location. So dem so being able to kind of step into the homes and look around and also be able to take the trip all the way up to Mount Everest Base Camp and see what that's like. It, because it's a lot more like the Appalachian Trail where it's long and arduous and it's not like a um, what, what typically people think of when they think of Everest, which is, you know, adrenaline junkies and extreme athletes go there. Uh, after I finished that project, I, I went to work on it in Poland and that's where I discovered a, uh, a program in Romania, and I helped build a shelter for orphans because presently there is literally no program in Romania for orphans. So if you're 8 years old, if you're 12 years old and you have no family, you're out on the street with, with no luck whatsoever. So I worked on the Romanian orphanage as well, and then in 2018, I returned to New York City where I um, worked with a, a world-famous artist, and I was hired as a lead producer to a fundraiser, which was a fine art gallery exhibition with Gloria Steinem. 
with over $2 million worth of art that was uh, the proceeds of which were going to fund anti-humanitarian organizations around, or I'm sorry, anti-human trafficking organizations around the world. It was extremely successful. Uh, we had an incredible media coverage, including Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone, ABC News, Fox Television, um, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and it goes on. And so with all of these experiences, I have worked with some of the most highly awarded and decorated organizations in the world that are humanitarian. And I was, I've been able to learn how to create and how to uh, maintain sustainable humanitarian projects in some of the most difficult places on, in the world. So when this project came across my, my plate, I thought to myself, this is extremely sensitive. It's extremely complicated. This is a part of the world that is, um, that as you described before, a lot of people are afraid of because of the political implications or whatever it is. And so I actually hear a lot of people that are bewildered that I would even consider going over there uh, as a person from America. And so we have to proceed with, you know, the utmost caution. So we've had some requests from journalists who wanted to accompany us. Um, and we are very careful with how we kind of uh, dis are able to talk to people about the project as well. So we're not releasing any dates or anything. We're saying that the project will be completed this year. But uh, I believe I'm in position with a network of support that we are able to create a very responsible, long-term, sustainable project where once we deliver the equipment, once we construct the wall, we are going to disconnect and we are going to let the people on the ground in Iraq run the project. So they're, they're the ones that are going to own it. Um, and we are going to basically disconnect and remain as consultants, potentially fundraising the future, uh, but for the most part, watching the project grow on its own. And one of the last things that we're doing is also reaching out to gyms, clubs, and uh, organizations all over the world uh, who would be able to interact with the program, um, answer email questions, potentially create video uh, lessons or prepare videos, instructional videos that explain uh, various part, uh, aspects of climbing uh, and really set the project up to become a, uh, a, a successful school that responsibly prepares people to go into the mountains who, as I said before, literally have no experience uh, understanding how to venture into the wilderness responsibly. Dang. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, are you guys, uh, between the both of you and your connections, are, are you planning to have the qualifications for, for teaching guiding principles and mountaineering from your own personal experience? Are you bringing people in? How is that going to work? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's Go one ahead, of the things Brian. that I think I would really be able to help with. You know, I have some uh, mountaineering training through the military, um, you know, winter climbing experience again through the military. I was stationed up at Fort Drum, so... You know, I basically spent five years all in the winter and, you know, I, I really feel like the skills that I've learned over the years as well, attending, you know, uh, courses, climbing courses here in North Carolina or out, out in Colorado, it'll be nice to be able to pass those skills onto um, the people over there. Uh, on my end. On my end, I would consider myself to be a novice mountaineer, and I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. I've, I've gotten on mountains like Mount Rainier. Uh, Mount Washington is a favorite mountain on, uh, of mine. I, because I live on the East Coast, that's the best playground to go out into. And so my friends and I actually have uh, an annual trip. It's called the 
uh, Super Bowl su- Sunday Sunrise Summit. And so what we do is we get up at 2 a.m. and we go and climb Mount Washington and we try to get sunrise at the summit every single year. Uh, we have been lucky in that we have had a terrible blizzards every single year we've climbed. So it's an incredible experience. Now, is that on um, Super Bowl Sunday? Oh yeah, Super Bowl okay. Sunday. And then we all go, you know, once we're once we're done, we all go back, everybody goes and watches the Super Bowl and I drive down, you know, the 7 hours that it takes me to get back to New York and I'm just as happy listening to the Super Bowl on the radio. But with that said, um, you know, I I feel like I bring the skill set here in order to set this project up for success. And as I described before, we're providing the resources to be able to set to to start the classes over there. Uh, But in addition, we have to consider that the types of students that are going to be entering these programs have, uh, you know, basically no training whatsoever. So the first instructional classes that they're going to have is the most basic stuff, which is, you know, doing top roping on the wall outside, learning about the equipment and then progressing as time comes. And what we've learned is that, um, you know, starting with something so small and, and being responsible every step of the way the project tends to grow on its own as well because as you can see just appearing on this podcast, your listeners are going to hear about the project and I hope that we're going to hear from them because we're interested in, in hearing more information from people who are experts uh, in helping us uh, establish the path to to making this a successful program. So um, my job won't be to go over there and teach. My job will be to set these guys up to make sure they have a right program and then continuing our outreach efforts to experts who would then be able to provide those services. Fantastic. Now, uh, you, you mentioned the uh, through, through some notes I, I read, it, it says the, the climbing wall is going to be around $5,000. If you were to ask me what a climbing wall would cost, I would say a lot more than that. Now, is that what is that considering? How big of a wall are we talking and, and how basically it, it's probably going to be enough to, to learn those basic skills before moving on into the uh, the actual mountains. Yeah, you know, I'll actually provide you with some photos of the plans that we have. Uh, originally, we started off with a wall that was six meters tall, which is about 18 feet. But after consulting with uh, Jasper, uh, we learned that it would be very easy for us to get a nine meter wall, which is about, which is nearly 30 feet. The types of resources that we're looking at, and the reason that we came up with that number is because those are materials costs. So all of us are going to be putting in the elbow grease in order to get this thing uh, built and constructed, like I said, with the help of an expert who has been doing this for over 10 years professionally. And um, uh, the materials that we we got the costs for were basically plywood, um, T-nuts or uh, bolts. We have uh, concrete for the base and various pieces of equipment that go in there, including uh, polyurethane paint, paint, roofing paint, and really trying to identify how to create a wall that is very effective for instructional purposes, something that is sturdy enough to withstand the incredibly extreme temperatures in Iraq that go from uh, you know below freezing to over 110 degrees in the summer. Uh, Sulaymaniyah is also known for its wind, so the structure has to be very sturdy. So the ultimately the the wall that we came up with, and like I said, I'll share photos. So during your podcast, you'll be able to show what that wall looks like is two vertical walls um, that run parallel to each other. And then between those walls, a diagonal wall. So from the side, it will look almost like a Z if you were able to look through it um, with a X-ray machine. And then from the top, it's going to look like an H with the inside wall 
at a slant. And the reason for that is uh, obviously for stability, but the slanted wall is going to provide a surface that uh, anybody could climb on, practically anybody. So you can have children who are like two to three years old climbing on that if you put harnesses on them. Um, women who are wearing uh, the uh, attire that is standard over there. And then on the opposite side with the wall uh, leaning the opposite way, you'll be able to teach technical skills like climbing up on a roof or uh, leading. And then the outside walls will be able to be the vertical uh, walls as well. And then um, ideally what we're looking at right now is stabilizing the very top of the wall in order to be able to create a shade structure for the hot days of summer. And potentially if we are able to create enough support, uh, create a small platform where people are going to be able to uh, stand on top of in case there is any types of competitions. So there's a lot of thought that went into it that that number of $5,000 is it was literally a, um, you know, a first estimate based on uh, sketching the wall on a napkin, looking at how much uh, square footage there is that we were going to have to cover in surface area, adding all of it up um, with the plywood. And uh, one of the things that we did not put in there was the holds. And part of the reason for that is because we are looking at uh, creating a class or an, inst an instructional uh, session where we actually teach the people in Iraq to create their own holds with resin or with wood or with whatever other methods uh, we're researching presently. The reason for that is because we want those holds to be the last thing that goes up on a wall. They're going to be the keystone. And we want to ceremoniously have the people of Iraq be the ones that put those pieces on in order to allow them to own the wall. Because like I said before, we are not going in there to start the school and own it. We're going in there to enable the start of this program. And we want the people who desire to create this program to be the ones who are going to be the ones that, that, that feel that this is their project, this is their wall, and that, that they are invested in making this a success. So do you know how many people are going with you guys uh, when you go? I know you can't talk details, but do you have a team of people ready to go over there and work now? Well, we have a team that is on the ground. So we've got the Mountaineers who are in Iraq and as well as their friends who are uh, knowledgeable in construction. Um, but uh, the core team at the moment is the expert from the Netherlands, uh, Whitman and myself and uh, or rather Whitman and Ryan and then myself. Uh, so that's what, who we have right now. We're, we're being sensitive with who we kind of take on in addition to that just because we, you know, the more people that come, the more we have to kind of worry about logistics and security. So we're really trying to identify people who can bring um, more to the, to the project. And as far as uh, actually what we're going to be conducting on the ground, we're going to be delivering the gear and constructing the wall. So the wall construction is the only thing that really requires more than a handful of people. And we believe that we're going to have those resources once we arrive over there because of what we are learning, uh, the individuals there, the skills that they have um, are sufficient to be able to construct this wall. Uh, and the wall is actually going to be made entirely out of wood at this point. Um, we're going to have uh, beams that are going to be supporting the, uh, the plywood uh, panels that are going to be painted in, and it's all going to be done as per the 
the standards that are utilized in both Europe and America. So this is going to be a solid structure with, uh, you know, setting the standard in the country for climbing schools. Man, fantastic. That's awesome. Now, do you guys, do, do either of you have a, a climb or a peak that you have your, that you have your heart set on over there that maybe has never been climbed or you don't know if, uh, it's ever been climbed? I do actually. Yeah. <laughs> There's, um, <laughs> you know, I, I spend a, a good bit of time, uh, researching that area just, you know, for future travel and, and whatnot. And, um, I actually recently have been looking at a bunch of uh, topographical maps and, and trying to read up on the, the very sparse trip reports that there are for Kurdistan. And uh, I've actually found a traverse that looks uh, fairly challenging on um, two mountains. It's, uh, one is around, I, wanna, I think it's about 3,500 meters, and uh, the other peak is about 3,200 meters. That, that's awesome though yeah i'm actually since you guys got in touch i've been looking at topo maps of that area and wow yeah I, I just don't i don't think about that region a whole lot but there are a lot of mountains around there within within a half a day's drive or so you can get to a ton of i'm sure very isolated areas yeah and just to give a little bit of context behind that as well um i was born in poland and I, I think I mentioned it before that uh, the place I'm staying at right now is a village that is 700 years old. And my family was one of the three families that established this village. So the people that my family belongs to are, are the Highlanders of Poland. They're called the Gurale. The Highlanders in Poland are actually part of a much larger people that is spread across the Carpathian Mountains. So the Gurala can be found in Poland, in Hungary, in Slovakia, in the Czech Republic, in, you know, all over the place over here. And they're not actually divided by the country boundaries. So there's a dialect that we speak where if I go over to Hungary right now, if I cross the border into Slovakia, if I speak that dialect, you will, we, we will have like a 90% comprehension rate where we'll be able to understand each other. And that is also true for the people of Kurdistan. The Kurdish people are a group that is dispersed between the countries of Iran, Iraq, um, and uh, Pakistan. I'm, well, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just like, kind of blanking geographically here, but it's, it's, it's dispersed over there. And so there's an additional kind of relation that I have to the people of Kurdistan because I kind of feel like there is a culture there that it has accessed these mountains and has resided in there. And so being able to kind of enable them to go into those mountains and climb them in a way that they haven't before is something that really truly inspires me because it kind of resonates with, with my identity as well. Oh, and uh, another thing that I wanted to mention is that the, the local mountains here are the Tatra Mountains. And while they are not the tallest mountains in Europe, they have some of the best mixed climbing, sport climbing, alpine climbing, everything uh, right over here in our backyard. And so even though the Kurdish mountains may not be the tallest in the world either, they I have already seen footage that I've had from these guys. Um, you guys, you can see it on some of the videos that I put out promoting this project that these mountains, even though they may not be the tallest, they provide all of the different um, challenges that produce the skills necessary to climb. So you can go ice climbing there, you can go mountaineering, you can go alpine climbing. There is 100 meter walls that they have identified that have not been climbed because they don't have the equipment for it. 
And so uh, I feel like when we go over there with the equipment that we have, we're going to unlock basically so many different places that are just not even marked, not even identified yet. So I'm, I'm expecting to go over there and be surprised and expect anything. And I feel like this is a really noble project that's going to bring a lot to the climbing community because it's once this start, stuff starts getting out, you know, I can only anticipate that people are going to select that as a as a location to go and visit and climb. Yeah, I, I'm looking at some. Uh, I'm on Google Earth and and dropping the little thing to look at some pictures. And right near where you guys are planning to build this, I'm looking at these pictures that they look like they were taken right outside of Aspen, Colorado. Like they really look like the Rockies. And even bigger, and I can't believe if someone were to tell me, "Oh, this is in, this is in Iraq," I would say, "Whoa, wait a second, that is totally not what I picture when I think about Iraq." I was gonna, say, you know, most people when they think of Iraq, they think the South, where everything is in the desert, uh, it's covered in sand, uh, but that is not true at all of northern Iraq. You know, if you look at the trip reports, or like you said, Google Earth, or or anything really, I mean, the mountains and the land up there is just spectacular. Yeah, there's this mixture of looks like the Sierras and the Rockies, a little bit of Utah, kind of that desert, high desert feel. I mean, it's, I mean, any place, you know, is just going to be way more diverse and vast than you imagine before you go. Um, and, and even despite all the research you do, but this is blowing my mind already. I can't imagine actually being there. This is fantastic. Yeah, I've I've uh, seen several reports of um, you know climbing reports or uh, some of the companies that do go out there, and you know I'm really excited to to see those mountains for myself. And reading all those reports just really hammers home what an amazing place. Um, yeah, I, northern Iraq really is. And as an additional bonus, I just did want to say that, you know, I will be producing a, uh, you know, the virtual reality uh, documentary about this as well. I will be producing content as we're going to be, you know, after we return from there for security purposes. But so we're going to be able to bring back all of this footage that's never been seen. And, and you'll be able to put on virtual reality goggles and stand there and look at it. So if somebody wants to, you know, plan out their trip, I would just say, you know, take your time and and figure out how to safely travel. The one thing that's important is that because this country has the history that it does, it's it's not as easy as just dropping in there and making plans to go. You kind of have to become familiar with it. This is a completely undiscovered, you know, country as far as like going off into the mountains is concerned. And then in addition to that, you've got hostile borders. So on the border of Turkey, for example, you know, it's a it's a problem hiking over there because there's landmines that have been placed like I think 30 or 40 years ago that still exist and they're still alive. And uh, the boundaries of where those lines have been placed aren't very clear. So just looking at a topo map, you could get really excited. But what you'll find is when you're traveling over there, the locals are going to be like, oh, no way, man. Like, if you want to go over there, you can, but we're not going to see you again. <laughs> so, you know, you just got to be careful where you go. Make sure to create a relationship with the locals and understand that also the local culture is, is you know, it's, it's different. They, they see us differently. They have different standards. They grew up their life differently as well. And so we really have to respect the culture. So it may be some time before commercial trips become something of a norm and before uh, people who are not knowledgeable can travel over there. But these are the first steps that we're going to take in order to, you know, who knows what we're going to discover over there. 
Um, I think it's going to be an incredible, just like new country and just whoever is going to dedicate their next 10 years of their life to discover climbing over there, I think is really going to make a huge impact and have great success as well. Hopefully it'll be some locals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We will encourage every single one of those guys. Was that Ryan? I said, that's the goal. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you. I mean, you know, start getting some national parks, some some outdoors, man. You know, we we think it's a luxury, but it, it's a necessity for all of us to experience and to appreciate. And any anyone, anybody doing anything, the more they get outside, the more they get away into places that have never been rearranged by human hands, the, the better, the better their life is, and that place is ripe for. Uh, for all sorts of adventures out there, you know? Yeah. That's and you know, awesome. and one last thing that I wanted to mention is, you know, we're, we're advertising this project as the first mountaineering and climbing school in Iraq. Uh, and I just want to make sure that that language doesn't offend anyone because there is programs in Iraq right now, uh, where like gyms that you can go to and you can climb. Um, unfortunately, because of the way that the, the social hierarchy is composed over there, while those gyms exist, they are limited to people who are wealthy or people of a certain creed or religion or ethnicity. And so there is no public climbing program that's available just for anybody to walk into. And this, um, this community center is open to everybody. So this is not only going to be the first place that anybody can walk in and experience climbing, but this is going to be the first school for climbing where classes are specifically offered in order to instruct individuals to go all the way from what is a climbing shoe to uh you know crossing glaciers uh climb, doing alpine mountaineering and to really raising them up to the level where we are going to be seeing the first Iraqi nationals climbing up to the summit of Mount Everest and the other incredible mountains around this world and like I said before, these are the first steps. But I do want to make sure that the, the language that we use is appropriate. Um, and so we, we do believe that this is the first uh, climbing school in Iraq because there is such sparse information about what's going on over there. It is entirely possible that some sort of school like this exists, but it's not on Facebook. It's not on Google. It's not in any other way that uh, we, were, we have been able to, to research. So I do want to say that while we are going out and you know promoting this project in, in the most effective way, we are also sensitive that we could be wrong. I'm not an expert in building walls. I'm always consulting with other, with other people. Uh, but at this time, we want to be respectful. We want to say um, where we're at right now is we are starting the first school. We are doing it you know the best way possible and taking very careful steps, even with this disclaimer. And to be able to have support from our community is, is just the most meaningful thing because already we are creating those connections and that interest for people to be able to follow this program and potentially plug in and, and give us their, their, um, their opinion about it as well. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for saying that. That's, that's important. And, uh, so, so if people do want to get involved, um, what are some of the things you need and what are some of the things they can do if they want to help now, you know, whether they're Perfect climbing you know company owners or just individuals because we have all sorts of listeners well the the first thing is you know if you can share this program if you can go to adventuremilo.com slash iraq and then share that page that is the the most powerful thing you could do and the reason i say that is because our social media is based on an algorithm that takes whatever is most popular 
And so memes are popular, jokes are popular, sensational political articles are popular. But things like this fly under the radar. You don't like every single humanitarian project that goes past your timeline. But if we are able to have people engage and share, we can circumvent that algorithm which prevents us from being able to reach people. And so the number one thing that is important is to share information about this project. The second thing is we are collecting donations. You can go to adventuremilo.com slash Iraq and click on the button over there. You can submit a donation. The money that you donate goes directly to purchasing the gear on our gear list. Um, and if you, if you do have gear that you would like to donate, uh, we are accepting only new gear, unfortunately. Um, I say unfortunately because we've had so many offers of used gear. But if we're starting a program and we get a piece of gear that is malfunctioning, it, it will really look bad. <laughs> so right. we do not want to set ourselves up for, for failure where they're going to be blaming the, you know, us for bringing malfunctioning equipment. So we're accepting um, donations that are go directly to the purchase of new equipment. We're also uh, accepting new equipment. And if you do have any other uh, way that you can imagine uh, being able to contribute, please reach out to us. We're more than happy to speak with every single person that, uh, that has something to offer and consider how they can be a part of this project as well. Yeah, this uh, that is fantastic. I imagine people want to get involved. This is amazing. It's kind of a, a for for a lot of people and even locals an undiscovered frontier of of wilderness and adventure experiences. Yeah, I mean this is true exploration and, you know, another I guess question I would have is if anybody has uh if everybody knows of any grants or anything like that. We're also applying for grants across the board. But we're more than happy to apply for grants that people have uh, have knowledge of that we may not have um, been able to identify. So that's yet another way to do it. But like you said, uh, this is true exploration. This is going out, and you know that, the one thing that my mom is worried about. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ryan, but you're probably going to get the same thing. My mom's like, "Well, what's next? North Korea?" <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. Well, I don't knows? know, man. I don't know <laughs> yeah. exactly. Well, this seems like a, a daunting uh, project, so I'm sure it'll keep you guys busy for a while. Exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Mason. Yeah. We really appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak to your audience. Uh, we love all adventure sports. The outdoor community is some is a community that's really helpful, and we appreciate it. So thank you for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys for being on. And uh, I look forward to hearing more and learning more about the project and, and uh, seeing where it goes. So I, I hope this brings some attention to it and, and makes some connections. Thank you, Mason. I really appreciate this. Yeah, no worries. I appreciate it. But all right, y'all. Uh, sounds like you got a lot of work to do. We'll talk soon. <laughs> All right. You got it, yes, Mason. Sir. We'll talk All to right. you later. See y'all. Bye-bye.